0: Hi everyone, this is another recording for the Sex, Sex Work and Sexualities channel of the New Book Network. My name is Rachel Steele, I'm a PhD researcher at the University of Penn and I am talking to Francine Tremblay about her book, Organising Sex Workers' Rights in Montreal. Francine, can you tell us who you are and about your, your background and the book? Yeah, all
1: right. So, uh, yes, I'm from Montreal, and um, I wrote this book uh, following my dissertation, uh, which I defended in 2012. But let me uh, go back um, to when I started in the industry, because um, I think it's extremely important that that um, we put every like that book in context and everything that I have done uh, so far uh, within the academia. Okay. Um, I, I started in the industry in 69. Uh, I was 17 years old. I left in 1988. Um, the main reason I left was I think that after almost 20 years, uh, I wanted to do something else. And, the industry was changing uh, rapidly, um, and I was not at a at a very good place um, where I was working at the time. So I decided to leave, but um, it, it I left I think a bit too soon, and I was totally unprepared. Um, I left. I had a BA already. I had a, a BA in psychology, so I was. At one point, I went back uh, to university, got a BA, um, and here I am. I left, and big mistake because I couldn't find work. And I was a bit of a a pain in the butt. Um, I was an activist uh, always. So the moment I left the industry, of course, no one wanted me back. (laughs) They were kind of happy I was gone. So I had to uh, find something to do, and then I, you know, opened my own company, a computer company. So I, I had the company for five years, and then I decided to go back and uh, go back at university, Concordia in Montreal, and um, I did a, um, I, was, I I came back to do a certificate. Uh, on family life education and uh, to run workshops. Well, um, that was a year and a half and that was only a certificate and I ended up with a PhD. So, um, in 1999, um, Fran Shaver, um, who was uh, teaching, she retired since then, was teaching at Concordia and Fran Shaver is along with a few others that I will name later, uh, is one of the pi is the pioneer on sex work in Canada. She has been doing sex work forever, uh, sex work research forever. At that point, um, so I met her in the Department of Sociology and she mentioned, Uh, a group called Stella. This is 1999, and I'm going, okay, what is sex workers? First of all, sex workers. Sex workers. Well, what is a sex worker? Um, Then Fran and I sat down, and, of course, I told her that, you know, I had been in the business, and this is when we started a friendship, uh, support, and, and really she... The journey, Uh, she was with me the entire journey. So this is when I joined Stella as a um, just volunteer work at Stella. And this is 99. And then um, I finished my MA in 2000, which was on identity, um, totally theoretical. And then somebody suggested, uh, my director at the end said, well, you should do a PhD. You should go on to the PhD. And he knew my interest was identity and social movement. Okay. And of course, uh, Stella, a group of sex workers, by and for. And the, the thing that was amazing, Rachel, is the, the appellation was the name, sex worker. Okay, so... And I guess I'm a sex worker. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I have—I actually have a term, I have an expression, I have a word that belongs to me.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, I, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's so funny. You should say that because I've been having this conversation with people a lot recently. And for anyone listening, like the, the 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 phrase "sex worker" is generally used in preference to the word "prostitute." Okay, and I have no problem with the word "prostitute." But I don't think work, sex worker, really kind of captures what it is that we do, because yeah. the work sounds like a labouring, and I and I was never a labourer. Right? The, the work doesn't capture the hustle that's involved. <laughs> so I'm tempted to favour sexual commerce nowadays. Oh, okay. Sexual commerce. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's just my own personal opinion, but... I get totally what you're saying about you know being able to identify with a phrase that fits what you're doing. And it works in English but in French it's really it's
1: it makes almost grammatically and and just as a concept it's more difficult in in French than in English. Okay. And um and and Carol uh, Carol Lee was quite right when when she coined the expression to focus on the work part of it. Yeah. I'm working. And for me, Rachel, it was easy because in 69, and even, I mean, I was, I was the baby in the industry. Uh, every woman around me was a lot older than me. But we punch our cards and there, I went to work. It, it was very easy for me to grab the word the word and adopt it because I was working.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and that's funny because when I was reading your book earlier on, and I've literally just come off the beach, people have been reading it on the beach, um, I I listened to I read what you said uh, uh, you quoted Joe Phoenix and I've met Joe a couple of times she's lovely and she talks about like the biggest fear for sex workers is being discovered yeah And I would say actually I would say that's your second biggest fear your first biggest fear is not making any money yeah because 100 uh, percent. Because this is this is an economic activity. It so is yes. Once you've made your money, and it's and it's it's uh, by virtue it's precarious. So not making any money that day is an issue. That's more more worrying. Once you've got your money in your purse, then you can worry about being. Then banned. you can worry about something else. It's your livelihood. Yeah, and I think that sometimes it's that type of stuff that that people who you know well-meaning sort of um, researchers who don't have lived experience don't understand there's no. worse things than being caught out being you know being uh, you know somebody selling sex the worst thing is not selling sex
1: not not being able to make a living out of it not uh, being able to actually uh you know pay your rent and and be independent uh yeah your 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 life it's your livelihood it's as simple as that you're working
0: yeah I don't think I've ever seen any of the academic literature talk about the anxiety, or that feeling that you get if you don't make any money, you know. That, no, they that, don't. No, because, you know, there's, you know, there's so few of us with that actual lived experience. Um, so, so how did you come to write this book then? Because it's an awesome book. Um, so...
1: At the end of the defense, which was not an easy, um, it, it, th- there was a lot of controversy around my analysis. Um, and finally, I, I ended up, uh, <clears throat> the book, I'm so happy because finally the dissertation was never published at Lucam where I, I you know, defended it. So, um, but they all, uh, Colette parents. Uh, Fran Shaver um, and and Cecilia Benoit, uh, 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 Chris Brockett, who are researchers uh, in Canada, well, they they told me that, you know, it would be great if you would transform this into a book. Um, In order to uh, survive, Uh, especially in, you know, like almost, uh, you know, 15 years ago, I had to teach a lot at Concordia. So it gave me really little time uh, to actually write, okay, to actually change it, Uh, transform this into, um, you know, a book. When okay, so I guess you know that uh, in Canada, uh, Stella and and Canadian Sex Workers Organization finally made it to the Supreme Court and won at the Supreme Court, and uh, we won the fact that it would decriminalize uh, sex work, uh, decriminalize especially prostitution, which. Is always the problem, it's always what people are, you know, they get excited about. Um, to finally, after one year, so we finally won, and then one year after, and I think the book explained this pretty well. A year after, in 2014, if I or 2015, I have to verify the dates, it was overturn and to have what we call the Bill C-36, right? And this bill now is, um, I keep forgetting I have a mental block, is Protection of Neighborhood and the Exploited Person Act. So this was by Peter McKay, who was at the, the, the Justice Minister, conservative government, and everything we worked for for at least 10 years all the effort were for me went down the drain because it made it made sex work it made the industry even more dangerous i remember i was in halifax in canada and i decided to write the book And this is when I start, so we're around 2.15. I rewrote the book uh, three times, um, send it to publisher. It was not working, and I know it was not good enough, and I know that, but nobody believed that I could actually turn it into a book. They said it was too much work, which was, (laughs) I thought that you don't know me, um, to finally have this person at Lexington um accepting uh, the book um we met at um, fran we didn't meet she emailed me and she reached out during i was celebrating fran shaver's retirement um and um she wanted to meet we finally did not meet in person but we exchanged email and she sent she said send me your proposal and I think it's Emily. It's at the the beginning and the uh, acknowledgement. Her name is there, and I send her the uh, the, the proposal, and she accepted immediately.
0: Do and, you think that what you've encountered there is a kind of um, the the kind of uh, one of the extra kind of layers of um, marginalisation that sex work. Uh, research uh, sex, work, sex work academics academics who've had a history of sex work experience it's almost like our academia gets under, underestimated because of our sex work I mean for my, me personally I, I submitted an, art, an abstract for a chapter a few weeks ago with some very well known academics in the sex work research field and they refused my abstract and asked me if I wanted to write a 1200 word essay <laughs> instead and I was like nah no, I don't think so. Don't think and, so. And what was the reason? Titillation, I should imagine. But I think, <laughs> I, I think that's that's what happens, doesn't it? That what that's what happens in our field. Um, we 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 face an extra layer of discrimination. It's never talked about. Yeah. Okay. And, and, it's never yeah, talked about.
1: Yeah. And and I agree with you on that. It's um, they they want us to write about. Victims. They want us to write about sexuality. Um, um, they're not. It's like they they want to appear like as a scholar. I I I, I don't know how to say. It's like. They, they want to hear about victims. They want to hear about trafficking. They want to hear about sex. Like the one that you read on um, the, the, just the research, uh, the paper, okay, the article that, thank God, Cecilia Benoit uh, uh, offered me the chance to write this for a special edition. One of the reviewers asked me to get into the sex war. And I said, no. No, this is done. What do you want me to say about the sex war? Yeah, it's done to death. We've moved on. It's done. I want to talk about work, about labor. I want to talk about labor's right. I want to talk about safety and right that comes with labor's right. I I don't mind if another person wants to get into sexuality. By all means, no. I can write about sexuality tomorrow. But this is not what the article was about. And if you see the last, if you look at the last chapter of the book, this is how I end. Enough about sexuality. If I can write about sexuality, but this is not where I'm at now.
0: Yeah, and I think that's really important as well because when I was reading this, um, it made me think of Beloso, uh, Brooke Beloso, and what she talks about is this really unhealthy fixation on sexuality and gender studies that distracts from sex work as a topic of work. And I think that's really important because what I what I perceive, and I don't know if you agree with this, is that there's actually a fetishization of the relationship between a sex worker and her client to the exclusion almost of almost everything else that's going on in her life and actually non-sex working academics don't tend to sort of like understand that actually the punters are really not that important if you're not getting them and you're not making any money then they become important but they're really the backdrop to everything else and what we need is more I think more literature about the engagement with third-party relationships, the, the engagement, you know, and the normal day-to-day stuff about people picking the kids up from school and stuff like that. That's what we need. We need to stop focusing on the sex work and re, re, and start talking about sex work as a form of uh, precarious labour because that's what it is. We need to, you know, uh, uh, from my understanding, and what you pick up in the book is the 1860s basically pushed sex workers away from the main body of the working class yeah and it's kept them there all this time by focusing on the relationship with the client you know it would be it would be like talking to plumbers and only func- focusing on you know like plumb you know the actual kind of putting putting in a put in in the toilet yeah and not talking about anything else you know and meanwhile marginalizing them for that and you know that's that's what i really got from your book as well this kind of slight sense of exasperation say look people this is work yeah, and, and I think I think you answered
1: the question that you asked me before, you know, about publishing. It's like they want to they want us to talk about everything except work. Except that I'm so no, I have no children. I never had any desire to have children, but I'm very aware that so many sex workers, so many people, so many women in the industry have children, have, they have so much outside of, you know, being in the industry. But only in the industry are we, are, you know, are people focusing on on what they're doing, on their work. About sexuality. Instead of yes, they have a life outside. You know, like let's talk about what you just mentioned about their family, their life, their children. Yeah. You know, but I think that's the
0: outside, the insider, outside dichotomy, though, isn't it? Is because what we tend to get in the literature is the stuff that can be observed. So to an extent, you can observe. You can observe certain aspects of sex workers' lives. You can observe them stood on the street. You can observe uh, sort of um, f- online forums. You can observe people webcoming. So you can, you can make extrapolations from those ob- observations. But that can be really damaging. And uh, that what actually needs to happen is that a dis- the discussion has to go back to the sex worker to actually kind of talk about what they, you know, w- about their actual experience.
1: And on this note, um, most probably the the last uh, you know paper, uh, the article you read, will most probably be the last one I will write at this level, like interviewing. Uh, I'm not on the field anymore, you know. I'm not, and I, and I'm I'm more a, a theoretician when it comes to. Um, Identity. I, I think I, I feel like going back to identity, marginalized identity. Uh, and the reason I'm saying this is because I think that I'm moving further and further away from the reality of sex workers. And I know that my good friend was, I don't think she was impressed with the article And the reason why it's because, you know, everything we write, everything we say, prohibitionists are like, you know, vultures. They're just looking and, and, you know, one, one sentence, one thing I say, one thing I write will end up being twisted and may damage the movement, And like I told her, I said, I cannot carry this kind of responsibility. Not in Montreal. Okay, I I, I don't know in other countries, but I know that in Montreal, we're such a small little community. You know, it's a, you know, Montreal is almost like a big village compared to main cities. But um, no, I agree with you. I, I definitely will take, um, some recommendation and some ideas from others, in order to pursue writing.
0: Yeah, um, and that's quite it's quite interesting that you talk about identity and your desire to to kind of like explore more identity because I really liked what your book discussed about the horse symbol. So, can you oh. tell us how the book discusses that? Okay.
1: First of all, anyone who knows me knows that I, I will argue until you just throw a book at me and, and throw me out of a room. And, you know, in Canada, we had three majors uh, commission that cost taxpayers a fortune. And every time at the end, no matter what, they, the, the laws are just getting worse. They're just, they're not helping. They're, you know, hurting woman autonomy, endangering woman's life. And I'm saying, what, why is it after hundreds of years, at least 120 years since 1880, since 1860s, that we have this conversation over and over again? And in Canada, at least 45 years. And we cannot, we cannot undo this link between, and this is my argument, we cannot undo the link between drugs, it used to be syphilis, now it's HIV, and uh, criminal and trafficking. We cannot undo what, according to my research and my argument, whatever was created in 1850, 1880, is very much alive. The context may be different, but it sticks to us. Sex workers, first of all, there's no such a thing as sex work. It's immoral, dangerous, only desperate women would enter the industry. Organized crime is, uh, you know, manage the industry. We cannot undo, it is glued to us as sex workers, drug, uh, venereal disease or HIV, and trafficking. That was my argument. That is, from beginning to end, that was my point of departure. Was the horse symbol, because um, what's her name, um, uh, the, the prostitution prison, uh, fail, uh, Gail Federson? She introduced the horse stigma, but she never recalled the history behind it. And they, uh, I know that some some people, when I was writing the book, uh, I know that one of the reviewers say, why do you, uh, we don't need that part. And I insisted because the book is not for academics. The no. book is for the general public.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't think the general public necessarily... Um, you know I sort of privy to the sort of uh, debates that we're privy to maybe especially around things like the conflation of like sex work with trafficking you know that's become so insidious that you can it's virtually impossible to have a conversation nowadays about any form of sex work without mentioning the t-words you know I absolutely refuse to engage with it yeah not having it (laughs) not having it Um, because it's it's spurious you know, but I think it's this, and I, I I don't know if you agree with this, but it's almost like this: it's that the most disadvantaged of the sex working field, because uh, there are women on the street. I do I, you know, I do street um, interviews. I do street outreach. Um, the most disadvantaged, disenfranchised women are used by political actors in order to push through an agenda that controls the economic activities of those of us who are better able to stay away from the law. You know, it's a, it's proximity to the law. And it, it it works very well to keep some people close to the, war, with the law because you can carry on legislating against, against sex work based on these the most disadvantaged. And I speak from experience of just um, uh, being part of two researches and we found that policing, heavy policing attached to the Nordic model increases violence, yeah, that women experience. We've got the proof. We've got the evidence. We did quants. We gave them what they wanted. They want figures, we give them to you. But we're still hearing these same tired old arguments because actually people make political um, mileage. It's like political clickbait. Uh, One, oh,
1: I agree with you on that. And I have to, oh, it just reminds me, um, I teach a course at Concordia because, you know, thank God for Fran Shaver because she actually put it in the curriculum in, uh, at, at the sociology department. Um, there is a group, um, uh, there's a, a, a video, recent video uh, on YouTube that comes from prohibitionists in, in Canada. Okay, so there's four, four main women on that video, and especially one of them has been with prohibitionists and, of course, you know, like uh, equating sex work with trafficking and, and, and you know, rape and, and torture and, and drugs and, and victimization. And I showed this video this in class and I looked at it and of course she was crying and, and I looked at it and I said, they are exploiting this woman in order to make a point. Now, I'm sorry, but you prohibitionists are exploiting woman's pain and they make sure they stay in pain. they make sure they relive they relive whatever happened to them at that time. That was such a realization for me and this was just now this this is the session that I just uh, ended. And I will, I will definitely work on this uh, more because I will be teaching the course again. Yeah. But I mean, I have to show. I will send you this. Uh, this please, uh, uh,
0: please. And for anyone listening, the um, the article that uh, Francine has written, I will include it in the the blog that goes with this, so they can access the, the article as well. But yeah, I am. Um, I I hear you, and it's almost. Um, I always get the impression like this. Like most sex workers, you don't know their sex workers. You're never going to find them unless you happen to come across them online. Yeah. They're nowhere near any, what, any of these prohibitionists. I always imagine like one woman stood on the street surrounded by social workers, prohibitionists, police, whilst everyone else is making money. Yeah. Like sex workers left the building a 100 years ago. <laughs> and that's the issue. This is the issue is that they can't access people that they can't access without yeah. the use of a gatekeeper. Yeah, exactly. What's, what's the gatekeepers? There's always the criminal justice system. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's always a criminal. It's all, the gatekeepers always come through the criminal justice system. So who are they? Who are they engaging with? Women that are engaged with the criminal justice system, and they use that to kind of like as an example of where the industry is at. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's just exploitation. It's it's actually a form of. I I feel like it's a form of colonization. You know, mm. they take they take people's narratives and use it for their own their own. You know, oh, that, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And they use,
1: I think when I was looking at this, uh, at, at the, the, the the video, was like, wow. They're, they're And she's not, the person is not getting any better. That's, it makes no sense. They're actually filming, using, exploiting this person's pain to make a point. I mean, this is indecent. This for me is, you know what, unethical. It, and, and it's like, uh, and you're talking, not that I want to relativize, but it, it, it's like, don't, no, no, this is for me unac- unacceptable. And on that note, this is here is, is my point that mm, sometimes I get into trouble. One thing I always said, from the very, I never hid the fact that I don't think that everyone is able to uh, enter the industry and and be comfortable in it, and you know, be able to work in it and and function in it. Uh, some women, if you, if you need to constantly be under the influence in order to um, to work. First of all, it's dangerous to you. Uh, but I think you have to rethink your decision to be in the industry. Um, and my problem right now, in, in, in Canada at least, is there's nothing that will really help women who wants to stop, um, who wants to transition from the industry to another form of
0: work. There's nothing for them except, you know, welfare. Yeah, you've got to hustle out of hustling. You have to you have to get a side hustle to hustle out of hustling, because because the money is so good and the hours are so short that you're not going to go back to working eight hours a day at five days a week to earn a fraction of what you were earning before. You've actually got to start thinking about it before you leave, and this is why you know like sort of the the organisations um, like uh, Stella are really important because it's that type of discussion that sex workers need to have with each other, and that's why organizations like Stella are so important, you know, because also as well, I mean, you know, we need to start talking about, okay, so you might want to stop selling in-person sex work, but there's other ways you can do it that you might be able to do working around what you're doing. You know, we need to be introduced. And that's why you need organizations like Stella that this book talks about so lovingly. Yeah. I can really feel the love that you've got for this organization because we need, you know, let me say we need the wisdom of horse, yeah. We need to yes. tell each other what time it is. You know, I am, um, I, you know, some of the most amazing people that I know are, are, are sex workers. Yeah, they're they're smart and innovative, and you know, we need to share that wisdom with each other because nobody else is going to give it to us. No, no, you know, nobody we absolutely it you. need. Yeah, nobody else is going to give it to us, so we need to do that, and that's why. Um, you know the work that stella does and your book describes stella beautifully i can oh my you know, god yes yeah the, that, the love. that i have you can feel the love that you have for this organization coming through the pages and you what really struck me is the pain that you feel around the failures about mm. you know so i mean can you tell us about the pilot project what happened oh, with that my god this um <sighs> There
1: was this this well a pilot project. That project was to decriminalize a zone, okay. And there was so much uh, faith in that project. There was so much expectation. They uh, a group. So that means that around a table for many years. Was police, sex workers, activists, uh, many uh, community organization in Montreal. There was a roundtable, and after years of discussion, finally someone came up with an idea to have this pilot project to decriminalize a certain area in Montreal where there wouldn't be any arrest. Okay. So, hopefully, um, my recollection, but it's very, uh, it's well described in the book. And so, but it was misunderstood by the neighbors. Okay. So, it was in a certain neighborhood in Montreal that this area would be decriminalized. So. Everything is in place, everybody saw the paper, everybody saw the plan, those around the table, and of course, the neighborhood representation. So, they have this huge meeting in a uh, local, in a venue in the neighborhood. Well, first mistake. The the project was introduced by a French person, a French from France. Okay, now you have to understand this neighborhood is, uh, there's a lot of poverty, uh, people are struggling. Uh, it, is, it, it is a well known neighborhood in Montreal where there's a lot of oh, petty crime, or, you know, it, 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 and they introduced that project in that neighborhood by a French person. From France. Well, of course, it took apparently, I was at Stella at the time, but I was not at these meetings. It took a few minutes for, first of all, for people starting to insult, scream, uh, it turned into total chaos. Uh, they the the neighbors of people that were there apparently there was about 300 people people there starting to say not in my neighborhood you will not you know we have enough trouble here that you will not you know convert my my neighborhood into a giant brothel and they the, the main uh the main problem they had they said they were not consulted they were consulted. Uh, so it turned into a total nightmare. But what is so sad about this project, there was so much work done. Sex workers participated. They talked. They um They came to an understanding that they had to find a solution, and there are already bylaws. Like, um, give you an example: like, no, you cannot scream your head off in the middle of the night. You cannot, um, you know, exchange, uh, have sex act, you know, give blowjobs in in an alley in in where where people go by you know, there there was some there was a lot of this you know discussion and i think it was an excellent project that could have finally tried to find a solution to this constant constant fight between neighbors residents and sex workers And of course, you know where I'm going with this, street-based sex work. Because this is the only thing that bothers people in Montreal. Let's be very clear. is street-based sex work. Back then, now everything seems to bother them. But back then, it was street sex work. This project, for me, was so interesting. But Once I interviewed for uh, the actual dissertation, I realized that the the head of the table, the main person responsible for that project, really what they wanted was an exit. They wanted Stella to be an exit organization and I don't think they were very transparent on that I don't think they were clear enough on that
0: no then I you know it's um it's funny isn't it because what you're talking about is the visibility of sex workers the visibility of sex work so that that kind of argument that prohibitionist argument follows sex workers so it's followed them online to an extent. Okay, but I always think it's how, it shows how disingenuous. And this kind of breaks my heart, actually, because a lot of this prohibition is is, is feminist-based rhetoric. Yeah. And what happens is is then, and I've seen that in my own research with webcoming. So webcoming, every, practically every single webcam transaction goes through the banking system. Yeah. Right. Practically everyone. Where Where is the prohibitionist? Where are they? You know, but if it's visible in some way, if it's like back page or or somebody on the street, they will come for, for sex workers. If a multi million dollar industry like the banking system is profiting from a form of sex work, they don't say anything. You know, so the the closer to the law that you are, the heavier that this carceral type of feminism comes for you. You know, and it's so disingenuous. It's so disingenuous. And and remember,
1: Rachel, that in in Canada, uh, I don't know how it is elsewhere, but most prohibitionists. Well, the grand priestess of prohibitionists in North America is Catherine McKinnon. They're all lawyers, and this is what makes uh, makes it so difficult to get head and head with them is because of their legal argument. Not that it cannot be undone, far from it. But what makes it very difficult to tackle is because they, they they use the law. And what hurts so much is that they're women. They look like me. And they many of them went through the same struggle that we went through as women. And and they you know the article that was not the title of the, the, the last article. The title was if you ask me a question listen to my answer and believe me. That was the genuine title. And whoops I just forgot Ooh, I forgot to oh. To plug Mike, that was the genuine title. What hurts the most is the only thing they will actually believe is if I'm a victim. They will not believe
0: anything else. No, but also as well, they're kind of like their total failure to recognize that this actually creates that this dance creates victims. You know, we and we we're, we're gonna have to take from them. They're never gonna give us anything. It's, they're never gonna give us anything. But luckily, some of us are undercover. We might not look like we might look like them, but outlaws, really. <laughs> we
1: won't give up. I mean, yeah. that's
0: for sure. I mean, we won't give up. And just for the record, I have a law master's. So I can fight. <laughs> All right, you go. Yeah. So, what did you learn while writing the book?
1: Oh boy. Um there I think what did I learn? Oh my god. First of all, I this this book is a collaboration between Jen Clayman and myself. I think you know, Jen and I had so many conversations and and we agreed, disagreed. And at one point, we came to an agreement and I said, okay, you give me the information, you choose, because don't forget, I mean, the dissertation was like 200, close to 300 pages. And for, for the listeners, can you tell us who Jen is? Oh, Jen Clayman is communication at Stella. Okay, and she's still there. As we speak, uh, Jen is uh, still uh, responsible for communication at Stella. When I met her, as a matter of fact, she just came back. Uh, I met her in 99 uh, or 2000, and she was just back from uh, the UK. She is an international activist, um, and she has been at Stella and with me since you know the very uh, beginning uh, with very good friend, um, and we we had so many conversation and debate on you know on the in the during the dissertation and during that you know writing that book, and we so even before we we started, we said okay here's the agreement. You're responsible for the information what we will say in that book, and I'm responsible for the analysis. Everything else went pretty well after that, <laughs> but it was <laughs> I learned that writing about sex work is going to a minefield, and I think I said it at the very beginning: when you write about sex work, somebody will get hurt. Someone will get hurt. Someone will not like what I write. So a prohibitionist will just wait for me to make a mistake, say something that I'm not supposed to say, write something that I'm not supposed to write. And then you have sex workers that will say, well, this is not my experience at all. I learn writing this book that is dangerous writing. Contrary... To because I intend to, uh, you know, transform my master into a book, which is on identity, which is totally theoretical. While writing the book and writing the article, even in the article, if you note, there there is a, um, at the end, I very I'm very clear. What is it? Disclaimer. No sex workers' organization participated in me writing this article. I am totally responsible for it. I learned how difficult it was to write a book that recalls the life, the existence, the organization of marginalized and criminalized women.
0: Yeah. And that's that's funny you should say that because I mentioned earlier on somebody asked me to write a 1,200 word essay. This is two weeks ago. I'm still livid. Yeah. But when I responded to them, I said, you know, like 1,200 1200 words, like my, I've had many entries and exits from sex work. Yeah. I've worked every every decade since the eighties, not consistently, you know, but I've dipped in and out, you know, so which one of my experiences do you want me to write about? And, if I only write about one, I'm going to damage us, which is why I refuse to write, because it would damage the sex-working the sex working population, because actually I was exploited as a teenager. So if I write about that, I said, I, I, I go straight into this debate around exploitation. If I write about the time I webcam so I could take my millionaire ex-husband to court for, to get more maintenance, well, then that makes me look privileged and, you know, it's so any one of those could be damaging and all the other stuff that I've done in between could be damaging you know but it's it's that sort of stuff that that we need to be so careful about it, it's like you know every single experience of sex work is different for every single woman and every single person not just women cause a lot of, you know a lot of other people in the, involved in sex work you know and I think that's what we have to do not one voice represents everyone we all and, you know, would anyone, would any other, you know, any other type of precarious labour be expected to represent everyone? Would one, I, I don't know, like, would one sort of like market traders experience be expected to replicate all forms of market trade? Would one cleaner be expected to represent all cleaners? No, of course not, it's not realistic. And that's the issue, isn't it? That's the, that's the reductionism that we face. We 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 reduce people's experience to the most heinous, uh, you know, and then we legislate it, and that's not that's not that's not on. But I think it's quite funny as well because I think what's happening here, and I kind of you wrote about this, you write about this a lot because you you write about the um you write really nicely about the landscape, the physical and historical landscape of, of Montreal, and you use it to you use the kind of um. the the sort of campaigning that went on there to compare it with the, the British system. And basically what you talk about is the, um, the legislation against uh, uh, prostitution at a point where we're, we're entering heavy industrialization and when sort of like, and, and how sort of like, you know, sort of like basically that there's an attack at that same time by the middle classes against sex workers. And I'm really interested in how that narrative changes now that we're not heavily industrialised. Now more and more middle-class women, you know, technically middle-class women, uh, are having to be involved in sex work because actually you can't make money. You know, when I interviewed 35 webcam performers about their experiences of, like, webcaming, over half of them had decrees. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get jobs. I, yes. They couldn't Absolutely. get jobs. And, and that is what I really like about your book is because the book – Puts it into it, uh, puts it puts Montreal into context. It puts Montreal into context. You know the like the sex working experience there. It puts it in a in an international perspective. It, it brings up the debates that as sex working researchers we're all very familiar with, but introduces them in a way that's kind of like digestible. Like I said, I read the book on the beach earlier. It was a, it was a pleasure to read. Um, and I just felt that it was a really good crossover book for. For you know, you made your point as a, as a sort of sex worker, it was readable for an academic, it's readable for, for people who aren't academics, and it gets the types of stuff that us as a sex worker researchers are very familiar with that maybe the general public is not so familiar with. And so, the, I'm conflation, sorry, I'm... the conflation with trafficking oh, and how that God. replicates the white slave trade debate oh. of like 100 years ago, they,
1: they get hysterical around this. It drives okay, and oh. And by the way, what is interesting is, and and Guilford, who's an an historian, and I I just love to mention him because he's the one who argued that the so-called pimp, this criminal, came in our life as sex worker after she was thrown out of the neighborhood after this woman found herself alone. So who wants to come, uh, you know, who wants to associate with a whore? Really, she was left alone with no protection. This is when the association with, okay, so I need a protector. I need someone who will keep an eye on me. Well, and Guilford is very interesting that way. You know, I catch that sentence, this historical moment, so important, because these situations have isolated back then, has isolated women to the point where, what do you want me to do? You know, I, I need a, com- you know, and this why soldiers and, and were such good companions. Yeah, I mean, they're perfect.
0: they perfect <laughs> companion. The book, the, the book talks really interestingly about the, the sort of like the co-location of sex workers and soldiers in, in Montreal's past. And I really, I really like that. I really enjoyed that because I remember reading Walkowitz years ago about the Victoria, Victorian prostitution and one of the, the kind of um, – the sort of uh, vignette she uses is a is a woman who who sort of like who whose main clientele was soldiers. She likes soldiers, and why wouldn't you? Because it would be like people of your own class, wouldn't it? You know, and that's the thing, isn't it? Is like, that that kind when you get to that debate around pimp? Yeah, I mean, it's a like that we never really talk about this absolute as uh, sort of like two pronged attack on the 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 non-deserving poor, the people that are poor that want to do something about their poverty but don't want to come through the middle classes to do it, you know. So what do you do? You get women that are sort of like operating outside the system. You don't just criminalise them, but you criminalise the men that they associate. Oh, of course, yes. I mean, you know, in, in in the UK law, you can get seven years incarceration if you live off the earnings of a woman who's engaged oh in prostitution. But I mean, that mean that could mean her paying the rent. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, with no violence, no coercion, or anything. So it's a, it's an undermining of a sort of like working class subculture. I think that we don't really ever really talk about. You know. So yes, yeah, and... so I've I've thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. You know, I've really, really read, enjoyed reading your book. Um, you said previously that you didn't write it for an academic audience. Who did you write it for then? I wrote,
1: and I I. I, I write it. I wrote it because I just want people to actually read it and rethink. Just can we have a real conversation? Can we have a dialogue? First of all, on just this reputation. Okay, the pilot project was ruined in part. It was like if if you read uh, and and of course I had the excerpt you know at length in the dissertation. If you listen to people in the neighborhood, close your eyes, and we are in the eighteen hundred. Yeah. Nothing, Rachel. Nothing has moved. Yeah. Nothing. Not a single symbol. Not a single. Hot
0: differs. No, no, it's it's stationary, isn't it? It's
1: stationary. And, of course, Stella is trying, is very dishonest by not telling the truth that m- women are abused, uh, uh, drug addicts, uh, involved in, in uh, criminal activity with organized crime and they're trying to make believe to deceive they're deceiving people by the you know the government is actually giving sub, you know subsidized grants to organization that encourages that encourage this kind of relationship between organized crime and women and they're not sex workers by the way there are only these poor women that are abused, exploited by criminal.
0: Yeah, and just to clarify, this was the argument against Stella that Stella was. Oh, this being... is the argument against Stella that came out in writing,
1: in newspaper at the time, in newspapers at the time. I have quote verbatim. Yeah. Actually, saying a lot better than what I just said now. Yeah.
0: So, what's Stella doing now? What's, what's happening with Stella? Um, right now, I think that, well, first
1: of all, I think uh, I would have to refer you to uh, Jen Clayman. But right now, I think we're, they're organizing again uh, for another uh, campaign to decriminalize, to change the laws. So okay. that's the only thing I know for now, because uh, I did not have, I didn't even have the time to read the, the, the latest newsletter that came from Stella. As a matter of fact, um, I will definitely ask Jen, um, you know, to have the latest news. But the last I heard is that there's another campaign, and I um, it's the Coalition Sex Workers Coalition um Canadian coalition and I think Stella is member uh, of this coalition and they're doing uh they're back uh lobbying, they're back uh you know campaigning to have the law change one more time.
0: Well if it helps um like I had a report released yesterday that I've done for the Doctors of the World about the impact of um, of uh, withdrawing um, services from uh, just a health-based service and giving them to an exiting service and the impacts that this has had over, on women's health and women's safety before and after the COVID period. And, and for, for the listeners, I will put that in the, um, the blog as well so people can have a look at that. Francine, it's been amazing to talk to you. What have you got planned next? What am I planning next? Oh my God! Um,
1: like I said, most probably, um, something on you know, mark. I think marginalized uh, woman, uh, basically going back on the identity, marginalized, criminalized identity. I have to give it a bit more thought. Uh, I definitely want to take the time to uh, read a bit more about what Stella doing right now and of course i will be involved in activism um you know writing either letter or with students students are very active right now in terms of decriminalization of sex work they really um are trying to do you know their part on it
0: yeah bless them so um, that's the end of our podcast i was speaking to francine Tremblay about her amazing book organizing sex work and rights in montreal but we seem to have talked about everything else as well which is an awesome pleasure my name is Rachel trister i'm a phd researcher at the university of kent and this is a a podcast for the new book network under the channel sex sex work and sexuality thank you so much for listening